Hey there, it's Melissa Brunetti, and welcome to the Mind Your Own Karma podcast. Hey there, Karma Crew. I am so excited to bring you this guest today. If you have been listening for any amount of time to this podcast, you have heard me say that there needs to be reunion coaches, coaches to help navigate through the adoptive reunion process. And I found one. It actually does exist. And I found Darren Watson. He is the guest on today's show. He is an adoptee that has reunited with his birth family. His adoption reunion journey began in 1995 at the age of 25 when he began searching for his maternal family. Less than eight short weeks later, he found his birth mother. On their telephone call on October 9th, 1995, which happened to be Canadian Thanksgiving Day, He never forgot the phone call. For the first time in his life, he felt truly whole and complete. Later on down the road, though, things got a little crazy and tumultuous, as a lot of times we all know that it does. And it did for him. He realized how important coaching would be in the reunion process. He says, going through my adoption reunion journey made me realize that it's too much to deal with by yourself and too difficult to do it alone. Thankfully, I was able to find a support system to help me navigate the emotional upheaval that occurs within adoption reunions. That is why I started Adoption Reunion Coaching. I really want to be that support system for others who are going through the same journey that I did. I went through this journey. I lived through it. I've learned how to navigate the journey, and I can teach other people how to do so and make it less traumatic. I won't make you wait any longer. Here is my interview with Darren Watson. We are welcoming Darren Watson to the show today. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate your invitation to be on the podcast. Yeah, I've been looking for a reunion coach, so I'm so glad that I found you. And you're not only a a reunion coach, but you're also an adoptee. So let's start by telling your adoption story and the reunion story as well. Okay. Uh, I was born in 1970 in southern Alberta, Canada, in a little town called Anna. Yeah, that's where the band Nickelback is from. Mm-hmm. And I was placed in foster care about three weeks of age. And then I was in foster care for seven months. Um, my parents lived in a town called Peace River in Northern Alberta. And my mom, my adoptive mom could have kids. They had my sister, but she had a very rough pregnancy. Um, so they chose to adopt because they wanted to have a, a boy. And so I was adopted and uh, grew up in Peace River until I was 18. And growing up, I watched different talk shows and they had sometimes had reunions on on the shows. And I always cried when there was an embrace with the, the mother and the adoptee meeting for the first time. And I wanted to have that experience. Mm. Uh, and so I, I grew up knowing I wanted to search. And when I was 19, my parents moved to Texas. And my mom said, you know, if you want to search, we'll support you. And so about a year and a half later, I, I moved to Texas as well. And I was going to school. My life was kind of chaotic then. I I was drinking and I was in bad relationships. And um, so I, I became sober when I, in 1993, I quit drinking and, and then I got into recovery for relationship addiction. And I started going to a regression therapist in 1994. And I went to a session with, with my therapist. And during that session, I was able to, go back to when I was conceived in this lifetime. Wow. Um, And up to when I was born and then uh, taken to foster care. And I could feel everything that I felt as a baby that consciously I couldn't remember, but uh, I was born. My birth mother couldn't, didn't hold me and I was screaming for her to hold Mm -hmm. me. And then when I went to foster care, I was terrified. Um, 
I found out later that the foster father was not a very good person. And so I, I remember that and I was kind of abused and neglected in foster care. And after my parents picked me up um, from the adoption agency, the first year they had me, my, my adopted dad, every time he picked me up, I would cry and nobody could figure it out. Right. But that, that same year in 1994, uh, I turned 24 that year and my, my adopted mother gave me a copy of Journey of the Adopted Self by Betty Jean Lefton. And she wrote inside the book and, um, she was very supportive of me searching. We didn't really talk about adoption very much, but even with all that support, I was too scared to even read the book. Wow. I think unconsciously I thought, well, I, I'm going to upset my parents. I can't do this. So I, I put the book down for a whole year. And when I turned 25, I just felt it was time to start reading it. And I began identifying with so many things in the book. And and I realized, okay, I need to start searching. And so I wrote the Alberta government to get my identifying information and that was in early August of 1994. And on October 2nd, uh, I went and picked up the mail where I was living, and there was an envelope from the Alberta government, and it said uh, it was my identifying information. And I went to a meeting that night with Adoption Knowledge Affiliates. That's a, a nonprofit support group for adoptees and other members of the constellation that was in Austin and they had a search meeting that night. So I opened my envelope there at the meeting and I just kept staring at my birth name. And I, I knew my first name was Lyle from my adoption records, but I figure out my whole first name and a lady at the meeting offered to put my information on some search uh, websites. And I agreed to that. I thought it was, I didn't know much about the internet. And I was very skeptical it would work, but I agreed to it. And um, within a week, uh, I spoke to my birth mother for the first time on the phone. It, it was Thanksgiving Day in Canada in 1995. Wow. Um, so we we talked for about an hour and a half uh, for the first time, and. I was very emotional, and so was she. Uh, the first thing she ever said to me was, this is your real mother. Mm. And and I started saying, oh, my God, and just kind of freaking out. And But her voice sounded familiar to me. Or felt familiar. And, and uh, so we exchanged uh, addresses, and she sent me some pictures, and I sent her pictures and then we started faxing each other. We didn't have email back then. Right. So, <laughs> so we would fax each other and every Sunday we would talk on the phone for an hour or two and just to kind of get to know each other. And so you guys, you felt that connection then right off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, that night I called my dad and, uh, my mom was already asleep, and I said, "Oh, I found my birth mother. I feel whole for the first time." And and he's like, "Oh, that's great." You know, kind of a weird reaction. But uh, after that, I just started telling everyone I I knew or that I was around. I was going to college and also working, and uh, I just kept thinking, you know, I, I want to meet her. And so we we talked about it, and I. I went up there for Christmas and New Year's in December. We met on December 21st and I met her at the airport and we, um, we hugged at, at the airport and started talking and we got some pizza. We stayed in a adjoining rooms at a hotel in Calgary, just to kind of get to know each other. And, so what was the hug? Like you pictured it when yeah. you were watching the TV shows? Yeah, it was. Yeah. For, for me, it was. And mm-hmm. I think it was for her, too. Yeah. Um, so the, the, that night, we stayed up for a while and talked. And then the next day, we drove south to towards the city she lives in. And 
we had breakfast with some friends that my parents knew growing up and that they lived in the same city as she did. So we had breakfast there and um, one of them was an adoptee and they also had a son that they adopted. So they, they had some connection to adoption. And um, so we, we drove after breakfast, we drove to their city and I, we got to their house and met my younger half brothers and, and I met her husband and um, it was really kind of surreal being there. And then um, her husband, I think was a bit guarded and nervous because, you know, it was an entirely new situation for, for him and right and for everyone, really. I was called them collateral damage. <laughs> That's a good uh, term for it. Um, so we, I, I ended up uh, staying at their house for a couple of weeks uh, for Christmas or most of it. Um, the friends that, that we met for breakfast, they gave me a house key. They were going away for Christmas, but they, they said, if you, you need to stay over and, you know, have time for yourself. Here's a key. And so a couple of nights I, I did take them up on that offer just, just to give myself a break. And a lot of times there was tension in the house. Mm. And when that happened, I would, go to the room I was staying in and just kind of get centered. I would journal or meditate, something like that. Just to, And the, where the tension was between who? Um, it was mainly her husband and, and some with my brothers because most of her attention was on me. Mm. And she and I had a, a pretty deep connection. And I, I, her husband was jealous from that. And I understand that. Yeah. They're wondering what's going to change now. Yeah, because you you are an interruption to the existing family system. You you may be wanted or unwanted, but you are in a disruption to mm-hmm. what their family unit is. Right. I always knew I was adopted, and um, it was in my adoption papers that I was to be told I was adopted. But my my mother that gave birth to me, she kept me a secret from my younger half-brothers. And so I think that had been a a bit of a kind of a roadblock as far as them accepting me in some ways. Right. Because they had no expectation of me, didn't know about me. Um, Her reasoning was she said that she didn't want to hurt her husband's feelings, talking about the adoption, even even though he knew about it, but oh, he did. Okay. But it, it also was to protect her own feelings because she, she never went to therapy and, you know, kind of pushed it under the rug for 25 years at that point. Right. And she, she did tell me who my birth father was the first night we talked and she wrote him a letter and there was no reply. And so, um, He's never acknowledged me in 27 years. Mm. Um, they're distant cousins. But um, I, I have reached out later on to my some paternal brother and then some other family members as well that I've met over the year. Yeah. So it, it seems common that there's this honeymoon period when it comes to adoption reunions I hear this a lot. And so in your case, you said that you fell into a deep depression after meeting your biological mother. What was going on with you personally? And why do you think that happens? And how, I mean, how soon did this depression start after meeting her? Um, when I, when I did fly back, um, my, my adopted mom picked me up at the airport and she said, welcome home. And, and I almost started tearing up because I, I was, conflicted on where home was now. Is it in Texas or back in Alberta with my new family? Right. And I was going to school. Um, I was going to college and I was going to 12-step meetings and working a little bit, but I I just kept wondering and thinking, you know, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to stay here or move back? And 
after a few months, uh, I started going to a therapist and it was not a direct referral, but someone else in one of the meetings I, I attended, he said, well, I, I went to this guy that he left his card on the bulletin board. And, and I thought, well, if, if the therapist can help him, he could probably help me out too. <laughs> <laughs> and so in May of 96, I started going to therapy and, um, the, the therapist wasn't educated with adoption trauma, but he did help me with processing feelings and he knew my struggles with adoption, but he said, you know, it also has to do with your family that you grew up with. Mm. So I, I was with him uh, for five years. Um, after two and a half years, he moved to uh, to the West Coast and we did phone sessions so it wasn't quite as effective as being. Right. So did you know that your depression was coming from the whole adoption experience or? I I didn't directly. I just knew something was off. Um, I was still in the fog of a adoption. Um, you know, at that time, I still thought adoption was a, a great thing. And mm-hmm. um I've changed my stance on that since then, but I, I just knew even with going to 12 step groups and I I knew I needed help because I, I was just so torn inside with my own identity and trying to integrate, you know, my past, my life before finding my birth mother and afterwards. And, um, you know, how long, how often do we stay in contact, things like that. And, she she would write me and sometimes uh, tell me, well, don't let my husband know I wrote you because he wow. doesn't like this. And so there there were more secrets going on. And, yeah. Um. That December '96, uh, she and her husband came down to visit and and meet my my parents and uh, he and I had there was some tension there and then we, he and I went out for breakfast one morning and talked things and kind of worked things out. So that, that was a good thing. And, um, I, I listened to what his experience was when I was up there the first time, mm-hmm. um, because my, my birth mother and I would walk around holding hands and people would make comments because, you know, they think, Oh, who's this young guy that she's holding yeah. hands with? Right. And, and they would say that to him. And of course he got very jealous and, um, and I, I apologized to him for what he, you know, how it affected him. And that was never my intention. Right. I just, I wanted to connect with her and I felt safe around her with her around my brothers and, and her husband, um, at that time. And so it, it was, you know, in hindsight, I, I would have done the reading differently. I wouldn't have gone for so long or maybe stayed somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what did you call her? Did you call her mom? I I called her by her first name uh, one time at dinner, making dinner one night. I said, mom, and I can feel some tension from my brothers. I'm like, okay, that's not going to go well. <laughs> so, oh, wow. That's funny because I had my little brother was about eight and he was mad that I didn't call her mom. He was he didn't understand why I wasn't calling her mom. And he called me out on it one time and I was just like, I didn't know what to say, you know. Yeah. Eight years old. I was like, oh, I really honestly don't remember what I said. <laughs> but these yeah. are the things you don't think about when you go into reunion. Like, you know, what were my kids gonna call her? And mm-hmm. what was I gonna call her? And what did she expect them to call, you know, us to call her and there's all these expectations, I think, on both sides that that cause a problem a lot of times. Um, and then you said your birth mother rejected you multiple times over the 20 years that you were in reunion with her. And it was at times where you thought everything was OK. So what was going on there? Um, you know, the, there were times she would write. Um, and she would say she would write out things that and accuse me of doing things that just were not true or I had no idea what she was talking about. And um, I remember one time, I think it was Easter one year, she wrote a letter and 
when I would get these letters, I would just feel full of dread because I'm like, oh God, what's she writing now? And my wife was away that weekend. So I waited till Sunday afternoon for my wife to come home and we read the letter together. And there were nine things listed there that she had issues with about me. And two of them might've been partially true. And I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One time, uh, I think it was in 2011, I, I can't remember what year it was actually, but I was I was at a AKA conference. They have a conference every November, and I was in an afternoon session on a Saturday. And I um, I looked, checked my email, and she she wrote me and wrote uh, in all caps. She wrote, "It's over" with three exclamation points. Wow! And I'm like, I just you know right away I. I left the room I went to to the bathroom and cried a bit and I I found a therapist that was there at the conference and I showed her the email and I said what what do I do and she said get angry Mm. um and sometimes when I would get a rejection from my birth mother I would write her a a real long email and just kind of uh my my mindset I was charged and triggered from the primal wound and feeling rejected again. And I would, um, in my mind, I kept saying to myself, well, if, if this is it, I'm going down swinging, I'm not take this lying down. And, um, so I would, I would kind of rip her a new one on just how she treated me and, um, and others and say, you know, I'm done with you too. And, um, this happened a few times and, one year, she, we were we had a dispute over uh, texting or through email, and she said, "Well, I'm I've having it, you know, with this." And I I didn't reply to her. I kind of felt relieved, and and this break from each other went on for a year or two, and then uh, she wrote me on the anniversary of our reunion, I think 16 year reunion anniversary. And, and then we, a couple of weeks later, we finally talked on the phone and I, I talked to her and I said, you know, um, I said, I, I think you make things up and you think they're true. And she said, well, you, you, you pretend not to remember things. And, you know, just very defensive. And I said, look, you know, I have a very good memory. My wife doesn't. And I will be as honest with you as I feel I can be. But if I tell you I can't remember something, then I don't. And um, during that time, my adoptive mom uh, had advanced pancreatic cancer. And um, she didn't want my birth mother to know about it. And... Six days after that phone call, my my adoptive mom passed away, mm. and um, my birth mother gave me some space. And so after the memorial, and I went up to Canada that that Christmas to see my son and his family, and um, I ended up having breakfast with my birth mother in January. This is 2013, and we. We had about two hours together and she brought all these pictures of um, vacation cruises that she went on with her husband. And during that time, I went to the bathroom and I just told myself, you know, I don't really, I'm not going to get much emotional uh, thing out of her anymore, staying in contact. I don't need it. I don't know if I need to see her again, but I just felt kind of at peace with things. And then that spring, uh, I was I started playing a lot of tennis tournaments. And during Easter Sunday, she texted me "Happy Easter," and I said, "Oh, thank you, Happy Easter to you too." So based on that, I thought things between us were were fine. And a couple of weeks later, I came back from another tennis tournament, and there was a package from her, and. And my wife didn't tell me about it because she knew I would think about it too much. (laughs) (laughs) So I opened it the next morning and it was uh, another rejection letter. And 
she had sent back about a dozen pictures of me growing up that my adoptive mom had given her. And when I was six years old, I went to, my parents took me to the town I was born and I um, saw the hospital where I was born and, and I went to a department store and I bought this um, panda bear. It was about 12 inches tall. And I, I gave that to her the first night we met. Mm. And she sent that bear back to me. Oh my gosh. And I was sitting there kind of in shock. Like, why would you do this? So later that morning, I emailed her and I said, you know, that's one of the worst, harshest things a, a birth mother could do to an adoptee was send back a precious gift like that. And her immediate reply was, well, you're lucky I didn't send back your wedding album. Wow. And and I thought, okay, this is on. If you want to fight, we're going to fight. And wow. We're going to lose this. And so for a couple of days, we just um, argued over email for a couple of days. And I, that Wednesday afternoon, she wrote me a really angry letter through email. And I, um, I wrote her back um, and typed on my iPhone and I just kept typing and ripped her a new one. And, and I blocked her after that. And she actually apologized a couple of days later, but um, after that, our relationship was never the same from, from my perspective. Oh yeah. I, I lost a lot of trust with her. And then um, in 2015, I went up to, Canada to see my son for his 25th birthday. And I got to see my paternal brother, Aaron, and and then his mother wanted to meet me. And then, uh, so I met her and, and aunt and uncle, and that was, that was really nice. And I stayed longer and I got to meet another brother and his wife and family and their kids. And during that time, I, I really had no intention of, um, contacting my birth mother. I just didn't want to. Mm-hmm. And so during our reunion anniversary, I messaged her happy 20 year reunion. Uh, she wrote back the same. And then she, she said uh, in her message on Facebook, she said, you know, I, I don't know how I feel that you didn't contact me, but um, she had wanted to tell me to remove my pictures of my paternal family reunion on my own Facebook page. Why? And uh, she said, because I used their last name. Oh. And my, my birth parents are distant cousins. And, and then she said, you should really think about how other people feel. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I know you said at one point you came to a powerful realization and you said, I thought I needed her in my life, Mm -hmm. but I then realized that I had a choice if I wanted her in my life. Can you talk about how you got to that in your brain? Um, I think it was Betty Jean Lipton's book um, where she talks about adoptees who search. And she, I think she said you know, they have a right to to search and find, but they also don't have to stay in reunion if they don't want to. And, and I was realizing, you know, when, when my birth mother would send me these angry letters or messages, it would really throw me off for two or three days and affected me, affected my wife and our marriage. And um, I just thought, is this really worth it? You know, do I want to stay in a relationship where you get a few uh, breadcrumbs of happiness or something over a pile of toxic crap? Mm-hmm. So after she she sent that message on her 20-year reunion, I, I didn't respond right away. I waited a couple of days, and I, I talked to a friend who was an adoptee and a social worker, and... and um, I wrote her back the next Monday and I said, you know what? I'm 45 years old. I'm not five. I don't need your permission. What I put on my Facebook page. Um, but I said, I'm done with this crap. 
and said, leave me my wife alone. And I blocked her after that. Um, so has she tried to contact you that you know of then or she, you know, she did call about a week and a half after that. We were in British Columbia uh, visiting my grandma that I grew up with and uh, I let it go to voicemail. And after a couple hours, I just deleted the message. I didn't listen to it. And I, I decided I don't need this drama. I'm here to see my, my grandma. She's, you know, in her mid nineties and uh, I, I want to be happy on this trip. And yeah. And uh, so it's been a little over seven years. I've gone no contact. And there, there are times I think about reaching out and, you know, sometimes I, I wonder, you know, what's going on, but then I, I remind myself of the whole picture. Right. It might be good. I think it might be good, but then I could open myself up to getting, attacked again by email or or in the snail mail and um, I decided you know is it really worth it probably not now, those two brothers that you met were the, those her sons yes she and her, so, her husband did they say anything about I mean how they were raised was you know um we've never gotten terribly close um one one brother I've remained in contact with that it was it's mainly Facebook and um, it's been very sporadic. But one of their boundaries was they they didn't want to get involved between my issues with my birth mother and mm. me, which is entirely fair. Um, and so it's kind of cordial at best sometimes, you know, I, and I, like most adoptees, I initiate most of the contact. And I think that's just part of it is it's more, usually more important to the adoptee, but um, than than the family that we came from, Mm. because we grew up missing them. They didn't really grow up missing us as much and they had each other. They don't have Mm. separation experience in most cases. So, um, and the other brother, he's had some substance abuse issues. And I, I think me being in the picture, being the oldest brother uh, or the oldest son, I think he had a bit of an issue with that too. I I don't know. I haven't had contact in probably nearly 20 years with him and that's, that's his choice. Yeah. I messaged him one time on Facebook and it took him almost seven years to look at the message. Oh my gosh. He never replied. So. Yeah. In my experience, I was in my adoptive family. I was the youngest. There's only two of us, but I was the youngest. And then, um, so all my uh, biological siblings, I'm the oldest. And mm-hmm. it just felt really weird being the oldest because I was used to being the baby. So it was, was kind of interesting. I wonder if your brother kind of felt like, well, I thought I was the oldest and, you know, now I'm finding out I'm not the oldest. Yeah. And, and it could be, I, I think he was uh, a bit resentful that he wasn't told Yeah, about me. My, my youngest maternal brother was excited um, that, you know, he had a, a brother or another brother. And I, I think in hindsight, it was she had at least told them. So there was some expectation. Mm-hmm. I was out there, but, right. um, you know, the, you can't really do anything about that now to change it. Yeah. So why did you want to become a reunion coach or how did you even come to when did you start? Is there like a class you take or um, did you have some kind of training or just from your experience? My experience, I also have a degree in a bachelor's in social psychology and I've been to many conferences. I've read many mm-hmm. books. Um, I did get a certification, but one a person can become a life coach. It's not regulated so much like uh, social workers or psychologists where it's licensed. Right. Um, but I, I, I did, I've taken a lot of different trainings and um, I became a coach to help others with, with their readings and navigating the complexities. It's an emotional roller coaster. And even 
people that are in reunion or they get into the honeymoon stage and once they get out of it, there there can be a lot of chaos in their with their mindset. So I, I help people with their mindset and how to look at things differently. Um, because is the, is there questions that you tell them that maybe they should ask themselves before reunion or, you know, talk about some like expectations and that kind of thing? I, I think it's, it's important. I wish I had done this. Um, it's to write down what, what are your expectations, your fantasies about reunion? Um, there's a life coach named Brooke Castillo and she talks about people having manuals, uh, which are expectations of what others we have of others. Mm-hmm. It's a manual for uh, everyone else. And when people don't fit that manual, the expectation we think they should be or live, um, a lot of times we spend our own time and energy trying to change other people and control them yeah. to fit our manual for them. And and I, I did that with my birth mother as well. You know, I I thought she was going to be supportive and loving. And then um, one time she she wrote me and after our reunion said, you know, I'm, I'm not the person you think I am. And looking back, that was probably kind of a, a little bit of a warning or a little red flag that I didn't really want to believe or dive into right. at that time. But um so I, I think we we have a lot of uh expectations and manuals of other how things are gonna go with, with our fantasy and our ghost kingdom that Betty Jean Lipton talks about. And and I think there's the same with uh birth parents and birth families. Yeah. You know. I somehow dreamed I would go fishing with my brothers. I don't even really like fishing. And, <laughs> but that's never happened and it probably never will. Mm. So, so I know there's so much emotion and unresolved trauma when it comes to these reunions. So what do you recommend to others who are considering searching when they're going to search for their uh, maternal or paternal families? Where do you think, where do you tell people to start? I think it's, it's important to um, educate themselves on, on adoption uh, if you're an adoptee, especially read books, listen to podcasts, uh, reach out to me. I, I found it very invaluable and helpful to write in a journal with my handwriting, um, because that can help process your thoughts and feelings onto paper, mm-hmm. kind of get clarity. And I, I teach my clients how to do that in different ways that I've, I've learned over the years. Um, because if, if you go into it blindly and without some education on yourself and the process, um, if you go in very quickly, I, I know there, and I, from my own experience, I, I went into it pretty blindly and I, I was so excited. Nobody was going to stop me from going out there. Yeah, I think that's pretty common. But in hindsight, it was... I've done it slower and different. Yeah. I think you do have to leave some room because I know for me, um, just, I think from the trauma, you can be so reactive in the moment. And sometimes I'll wait, you know, like 12 hours and I'm like, why did I, you know, I shouldn't, I overreacted. You know, if I would have just gave myself a little bit of time, take a breath, you know, not respond to that text or email right away, you know, give me a day and then look at it again and see if I still feel the same way. Um, but I think, like you said, we kind of jump right in and, you know, we, we react or we jump right into the honeymoon and reunion. And I think that whole process needs to be a little bit slower. Yeah. And, you know, going back to the talk shows I, I saw with reunions, um, it gives you the impression that things are going to be great because that's what they show. Yeah. Once, you know, the show's over and the lights are gone and uh, turned off, The to me, the real work on ourselves is what happens after. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And integrate, um, you know, pieces of ourselves, our, our life before reading and then after. Even during search, you can need, I think people need to spend that time to 
working on themselves as because you never know when you're going to find somebody. It could take years. It could take days or weeks from the time you start. For me, it took less than eight weeks um, because of open records. Yeah. And with DNA uh, testing now, it can take a very short time. Yeah. And even when it, it happens, you know, cause you never know when you're going to get that phone call or the email saying we found them or whatever. And it's like, now you, and now it's just like super surreal and you're in the moment and it's like, oh my gosh, this is really happening. <laughs> this is really happening, you know? Mm-hmm. And you almost feel like someone's like pushing you from behind and just like pushing you towards who knows what, you know? And you're just so much anxiety and, um, so much to think about, but I think, yeah, afterwards is really where the rubber meets the road. And then it's like, how does this person fit into my life and my family's life and my adoptive family's life? And that's where the real work comes in right there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, what do you recommend for those that are already in reunion and struggling with relationships? Um, I I think it's, it's important to realize that it's, it's, being struggling with reunion, I think, is is normal. Yeah. And it's okay to reach out for help. Um, and people can reach out to me. I give a free consultation and or discovery call. And um, when I talk to clients, I, I look at, you know, where are they now? Where, are they, where do they want to get to? Mm-hmm. It, it, each person's journey is differently. Um, it's very different, but there's a lot of commonalities, but a a lot of what our, our own struggle with is, is our mind, you know, what are we thinking? And I look, I teach people, how can you look at things differently from what you are now? Because most of our thoughts are unconscious. It comes from the back of our head, our unconscious brain. And that's our protect mind is is in the front of our head. And, and those are thoughts that we can create for ourselves. And, and once we change our thinking um, and perspective on things, we can change our emotional experience inside. And and we, our actions are different than, than when we're stuck in our unconscious thinking. So what if, what do you see is on, on reunions that are going well, what is some of the common denominators that they may have done that helped make that reunion better than most? Um, I think they, I think the the best thing is if both uh, the adoptee and the birth parents or birth family, if they're willing to work on the relationship and work on each other um, Mm -hmm. and, and, commit to not abandoning each other again. If if the relationship is healthy, then stick with it. And if things get a little mucky yeah. um, or muddy between thing, people, then, um, you know, get some help. Um, because if, if we go in and, and our trauma pops up and it will, and we keep, showing up that way, it's, it's not going to be healthy for the relationship. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, when I was in reunion, it was in the early nineties. We didn't talk about the trauma of adoption. We didn't even, you know, we weren't allowed to really acknowledge that. And so I think now that this is all coming up, that when you you do have that meeting, there's got to, you got to have some communication, but also know that there is a lot of trauma there. And a lot of the reactions and emotions and triggering things that come up are based on that, you know, on that model of trauma. So, you know, give and take a little bit of uh, grace, but at the same time, it's hard because you have to have boundaries as well. And mm-hmm. a lot of times you don't even know what boundaries you need to draw until you're in <laughs> in the situation, right? Right. Yeah. And, and a lot of people... Um, in in their minds, they may have boundaries, but if we don't communicate them to to others, then yeah. you know there's a lot of feeling uh, disrespected or off-putting by someone's behavior. But 
There's a lot of misunderstandings because people yes. are yeah, expecting I, you to know <laughs> what their needs right. are. Why don't they, don't they know I need this? No, I don't. <laughs> you know, I, I, I never developed my mind reading skills, so I, I don't have that. No. <laughs> you know, like my, like my birth mother, um, she, over the years, she said, you know, I, my mother always was big on sending cards. Well, sorry, I didn't grow up in that family. You know, if you have that expectation of me and I'm a guy, yep. you may want to look at that, not hold that expectation for me because I'll, I'll send a card. But if you're going to, you know, demand it, I'm probably not going to. It's not going to feel genuine. It's going to feel pressured and coerced. Right, you know? right. Um, and it, and also when people um, set boundaries, we a lot of times we do it as a way of controlling others instead of saying, you know, if you do this, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna leave or I'm gonna ask you to leave or something. You have to. The key is to set it up front and and have a consequence, not as a punishment, but say this is this is my boundary, and if. You, you need to honor it or I'm taking a break mm-hmm. or whatever your boundary is that you need yeah. self-care. Yeah. So how did you finally come to that conclusion that you drew that line in the sand and, and you weren't, you know, cause I know there was a lot of back and forth, you know, with your reunion with your mom, but finally now it's done, it's done. Right. I mean, and how did you come to that conclusion to draw that boundary? Um, I, I, there, there was a, therapist named Terry Gorski. He was an addictions counselor. And one of the guys that I met at a 12 stop group years ago, he gave me a tape cassette tape that Terry had. And he talked about relationship levels. And Terry said, if you have a, someone in a relationship and they're a 10, they're really high functioning and they have their act together. And you, someone is a two, you don't have a five or a six in the relationship, the quality or level of the relationship can't rise above a two or the lowest person in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And and that made a lot of sense to me. And I used to think of it as um, just romantic relationships, but it could be any relationship. Yeah. You know, and, and my, my birth mother years ago, she's, she started saying, you know, um, I don't want to talk about the past. I don't want to be identified as a birth mother anymore. Um, I'm so over being a birth mother, things like that. Mm. And, and I thought, I never talked to her about why she came to those conclusions, but I just thought, you know, is this, if you weren't my birth mother, is this someone I really want in my life? Yeah. Is this, is it enhancing my life or is it um, dragging me down? Yeah. In contact. Right. And, and it happened so many times. I mean, yeah, over and over that. Yeah. And, and, and there were times I, you know, I, I did reject her too, or I just said, I'm, I'm done, but I, I wouldn't be, I would rarely be the one to initiate it. Mm. And I, when I did it in 2015, I, I did it out of, um, committing to my own peace and serenity because I didn't need this chaos and drama. I didn't need to be attacked or my character questioned or my memory questioned. Yeah. I know who I am. Right. I, I try to be uh, as, in, you know, in integrity as much as I can. But if someone is questioning me over and over again, then what's the point? Of staying in contact. Yeah. And were you usually the one to reinitiate the contact after, you know, someone or after she ended it, were you usually the one to reach out? Yeah. Um, I, I think when I, when I felt I was still in the mindset of, I thought I needed her in my life, you know, I, I would do it, but it would be from a place of fear. Um, I thought, uh, I thought if I worked on myself enough, I could fix things between us, which my my therapist kept telling me, um, he said, you know, you keep going to back to a dry well, mm. 
to your birth mother to give you something and she can't. I did not want to believe him. She was a two and you were still expecting the six. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, it, not necessarily in those numbers, but I, I felt a lot of times I was the emotional parent in the relationship. Mm. When you're in reunion, oftentimes the, the birth parent will go back, regress back to the age the baby was born. And when I was in the first reunion, I felt like a, a baby. I would cry all the time, just no matter what. Mm. And I grew out of that. And I know when my birth mother is uh, in her trauma, I'm dealing with someone 16 years old who's been traumatized. Yeah. And it's really hard to have a healthy relationship with someone in that mindset or in that situation emotionally. Yeah. I think a lot of times too, we look at that and, you know, we're like, we, we acknowledge that. And so, we give more chances and don't draw some healthy boundaries with those people because we're waiting for the turnaround. We're waiting for, you know, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. we give them the benefit of the doubt more times than we probably should. Yeah, I I agree for sure. Well, I know that there's going to be a lot of adoptees or even do you counsel just adoptees or anybody in the constellation? Anybody in the constellation, I've I've counseled, I've done coaching with several birth mothers. Um, and I have one now. She's uh, just turned seventy, and she's been in a relationship with the birth father for for many years, and it hasn't been a healthy thing. And so mm. um, I'm working on that with her to gain her wow. own confidence and and find her own identity instead of staying stuck with this fantasy of her and her, the birth father and her, their son that they relinquished being a family. It's, and, you know, she's made a lot of progress and I'm proud of what she's, she's done from when we first started working together because she's, she's come a long way. Yeah. That's tough at that age. Did they, do they know their son? Yeah. They, they met 20 years ago. And how often do you think, percentage wise do reunions work out um you think more often than not they don't work out or well i i was on a panel for for adoption mosaic this spring and someone put in the chat that uh roughly 80 percent of reunions don't work out Mm. and i i thought that was pretty sobering to look at statistics yeah maybe half, but, and that could be, you know, rejection can happen anytime. It can be when you try and make your first contact or after your first meeting or could be 10, 20 years later. Um, That's why I think it's important that both the birth parents and and the adoptees and and adoptive parents as well, you know, get therapy to to face your own issues. Yeah. Otherwise manifest in the reunion or the relationship with each other. And it's not going to be a healthy dynamic. Yeah. So I know there's going to be a lot of constellation adoptees and birth mothers and people (laughs) are going to want to have a ton of questions for you. So how can we get a hold of you if we need to talk to you? Um, You can email me, uh, Darren, D-A-R-Y-N, at adoptionreuniongcoaching.com. I'm I'm also on Facebook, Darren Watson, uh, Adoption Reunion Coaching on Facebook. And I have a blog called The Adoptee Mind that's also on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, I do give a free uh, discovery call with with people and and we go over where they're at now what's going on and where they want to get to. And we, we can set up a coaching program for them that that works for them, what they want to do to achieve their own goals in their, in their life and also in the reunion or whatever is going on with them that they want to change in their life. So tell us there's hope, Darren, (laughs) tell us there's hope. (laughs) There's, there's always hope. 
you know, and because I, you know, there's times I struggle, um, you know, last, uh, last week was 10 years since my mom passed away. And I, I took a couple of days to, you know, just kind of grieve that. Thankfully I was in a AKA, uh, work, um, conference during that time. And then yesterday was, um, anniversary since one of my general brothers committed suicide. Mm. And I never got to meet him, but you know, I, I was holding space for, for my paternal family and, um, because I know it really affected them and I, there, there's hope and it's with coaching, I help people to, to look at what they want to do with their life, what the, where they want to get to, but to help them find the answers from within yeah. I, works for me. It may not work for others in the same way, but we can discover what does work for them. Um, and, and a lot of it is our own thinking. If we, if we keep coming, coming from our unconscious primitive thinking, we're not going to have very high level thinking. We're going to be stuck. The, the trauma that we experienced being separated and adopted, that was a circumstance that happened. It, it affected us. Um, we adapted to it growing up and we still adapt to it. I help people discover how they adapt to it and, and then learn how to become their authentic self instead of living, um, uh, acting as a people pleaser or acting in the, living in the expectations of others. Yeah. That authenticity is huge. I talk about it a lot. And, um, I mean, if you don't have that, you're always looking outside yourself for love, for happiness, for whatever it is that you're searching for. But, um, until you come home to yourself, that's what it really all is. That's for sure. I, I agree. I will, uh, put all your links in the show notes. So if people want to find you, they can do that. And so I just want to thank you so much for coming on. And I really just want to thank you for doing what you do because I see the huge need for it. And I don't think people know that it's available. So thank you so much. Thank you. I I appreciate uh, again for you inviting me on your show and, and um, I want to be here to help people as, as many as I can. Thank you. These reunion stories can be so tricky to navigate and so heart-wrenching to listen to. If you're thinking about reunion, if you are in reunion and it hasn't been going well, I have all of Darren's contact information in the show notes. He also has a website, so go ahead and check that out. He also mentioned that he has a free consultation and discovery call if you are interested just to see if he's a good fit for you as a coach. You do not have to go through this alone and who better to help you through the process than another adoptee that has been through it. If you know another adoptee that is struggling with this process, please share this episode with them. If you find yourself listening to a lot of my episodes, please consider subscribing to the podcast. That way you will be notified of any new episodes as they come out. I have to thank you, thank you, thank you for those that have gone on and rated and reviewed the podcast recently. You are really helping me out. And I have a new one this week. It is by Danielle Gaudet, the author that I had on of Healing Tree. And she said, Melissa is a great interviewer. I love her sincere desire to support adoptees, to explore the deeper side of the journey, and to focus in the direction of healing. Thank you so much. Daniel Gaudette and Healing Tree. If you have not gone on to rate and review the podcast, please do. I cannot tell you in the last month, I have seen my numbers double and I do believe it is due to the people that are going on and rating and reviewing the podcast. It only takes a minute of your time and it really helps me out. So thank you so much. If you already have, please do if you haven't. I have some really exciting guests coming up in the next month or so. I did get a birth mother to come on 
and I spent about two hours talking to her. It was so incredible, and I learned a ton. So stay tuned for that. I have also had a roundtable of adoptees, and we talked about birth mothers and our experiences with reunions with them. So that'll be coming up as well. I also have an adoptee mother coming on who is also a mindset coach for adoptive parents that are having a lot of problems navigating raising their adopted child. There will also be a full moon bonus episode thrown in for December. For the month of December, I know we are all super busy and don't have a lot of time, including myself. So I'm thinking of maybe doing some shorter episodes, maybe some solo episodes for the month of December. I might throw in an interview. We'll just see how it goes. But I will be on every week again on Tuesdays as usual. Thank you so much for listening today. And as always, take what you need and leave what you don't. And always remember to mind your own karma. I'll see you next time. Oh my gosh, Tomlin. Are you serious? This is what I put up with, guys.